The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. National Association of Enrolled Agents. Uh, and since it's tax time, we're going to talk about taxes and ways you can help save on taxes, uh, how you should pick a uh, tax professional, all kinds of things in the tax area. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you, Jordan. It's good to be here. And I just tell your listeners that there are now on the East Coast 33 hours to the bewitching time. So, Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Are there some things that people can do, do in the last few uh, hours here that they can still save on the taxes if they get in by midnight on the 17th? Yeah, there are really uh, only two basic things that probably your listeners can do at this stage of the game. Uh, one would be to fund an IRA, uh, whether it be a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. They have until April 17th to, to fund it. Um, most mutual companies will accept the postmark as, as proof of timely mailing, so if they, if they deal with uh, one of the mutual companies, they still can get it in. Now, whether their choice of investment, obviously, would be theirs, depending on their tax situation. The Roth IRA, no deduction currently, but no tax down the road. Whereas a traditional IRA, based on their income or what have you, they may get a tax deduction now, but of course pay the tax down the road. That's number one. Number two is to any of your listeners that have um, self-employment and may file a Schedule C, they, they can open what's called a SEP, Simplified Employee Pension Plan. But the good news about that is if they do an extension on their tax return, they have until October 15th, 2007, to fund that SEP. So that's really very valuable. So you may have some listeners that have part-time business or a full-time business, whatever, and, but if they file the extension, they do have until October 17th. So many taxpayers, they'll file their taxes in May and not have the money uh, after doing an extension, and they have until October 15th to fund it. Really very sound advice. You can't have enough money in your retirement. So that is a, that. <laughs> it's a business deduction. Uh, any amount you contribute to a SEP would be a business deduction. Is that correct? Yes, it would be a, a deduction on on the front page. It wouldn't be a business deduction in terms of it wouldn't go on your Schedule C. It would go on the front page of your 1040, though, and it would reduce your gross income. So if you could, for example, depending on the amount of income you have on your Schedule C, if you funded $5,000 in your SEP and you're in a 25% tax bracket, you're going to get a $1,000 deduction right there. Uh-huh. Okay, good. So those are really the last things uh, that you can do. Uh, but let's talk about, I mean, so we've got a few more hours to go here, but let's talk about longer-term planning and some things that people should do, because it shouldn't be a last-minute event to have it here. Yeah, absolutely. It should One be of the you try and tell people, uh, certainly as a... Uh, professional tax practitioner such as myself, an enrolled agent, you try and encourage people to deal with you on a yearly basis. Does that work? Uh, not as well as it probably should. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, they, they think about taxes in terms of filing their tax return. But I would say a fair number of my clients do consult with me during the course of the year. Not all of them, of course. But lots of times they'll ask questions about retirement planning, about their kids going to college, that type of thing. So let's uh, talk about uh, some of the know, things. They, they should get in the habit of doing that because, as you note, uh, it, it, right now, close to the bewitching hour, there's very little you can do. Yeah. But during the course of the year, you can maximize funding of your 401k plans uh, if you're uh, working a, a nonprofit organization, a 403b plan. So a little bit of consultation would, would certainly help in some of those areas. 
So let's talk about some of the broader areas and get into a little bit more detail about them as to what actually you can do when you have plenty of time uh, to plan during the year to minimize your tax in every legal way possible. Correct. Let's start with uh, uh, retirement planning, I guess. The 401k, certainly if you have that, you want to maximize whatever your employer is going to allow you to put in and, and the match there, and that, that money's going in pre-tax. That'll help you to some extent. What are some of the other things in the retirement area that people should maximize? Well, I, I think that in, in terms of the whole game plan, what you hit on is number one, you can do $15,500 this year. If you're 50 or older, you can put an extra $5,000 in. Um, so they want to do that. Certainly, you know, this a lot depends on the company. Some companies do some matching. Uh, not everyone can afford, of course, to, to do $15,500. But let's suppose your company matches the first... 3% of your contribution, just throwing money away by, by you not funding that. So that, that's very, very important. So there are various types of, of uh, vehicles. Depending uh, on the situation, there's the 401K, there's the simple IRA, there's the SEP. Uh, if you are a sole proprietor, there is something called a solo 401K, which is a great deal. You can put up, this year, you could have put up the $44,000 away depending if you have enough income. I, it's not just an automatic $44,000, but something like a solo 401k has to be set up by December 31st of the tax year. So this for certainly for 2007, if anyone has a business on the side, this is something they should talk to their financial pointer or their tax practitioner about. It's really a good deal. IRA money, of course, always you, you want to fund for the future. Another thing is with uh, Let's just talk about IRAs for a second. You, know, you want to take a look at, at, at the available there, there are some some uh, reductions on the federal tax return. Unfortunately, oh, many of those are based upon gross income. So there are people in certain parts of your listening audience that will be not able to take advantage of some of those things because of their gross income. Um, you know, uh, the IRS says that people over $100,000 are in the top, I think, 5% of income, but if you live in one of the big urban areas, that may not be <laughs> in the case with you, but those kinds of things you really want to take a look at. The other thing is that you can do is for people that are a couple of things that the, the IRS, uh, I should say Congress passed some legislation. These are due to expire in 2007. Now, we don't know if Congress sometimes does extenders. They, 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 they change things and they put them on temporary basis and then we'll uh, bring them out for more years. What is the energy credit? If any of your listeners are thinking about uh, putting in new windows or new uh, energy-efficient doors or a new oil burner, there are some credits that are available up to a maximum of $500. As many of your listeners are aware, a credit is much more valuable than a deduction because it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction of, of, your, uh, of your tax uh, dollar. So you, if you, for example, put in new storm windows, uh, uh, energy-efficient doors, there are some limitations. For example, Jordan, uh, the first $2,000 of windows, is that's the maximum. And you get a 10% credit on that. So the most you would get for replacing your windows with energy-efficient windows would be $200. But $200 is better than no dollars. I don't have to tell you that, so it's worthwhile. That's, that's still applies to 2007. Your listeners who, and they have to be... Uh, uh, of, a, of a certain age, the, the people who take required minimum distributions, um, a taxpayer 70 and a half from their IRAs. Congress passed a, uh, a law, and it wasn't too, uh, 
well publicized during 2006 because the law was passed partially during the year. But it allows taxpayers to take their required minimum distribution and do a direct transfer to a charity and not have to recognize that income in their in their tax return. So, for example, if one of your listeners is fairly well-to-do and doesn't really need the $5,000, and it can go up to $100,000, I'm just going to use an example, if they don't need their $5,000 required minimum distribution, they can uh, make arrangements to have that directly transferred to a charity of their choice and not have to recognize that income. And the lower your gross income is, you're always better off in terms of uh, some tax breaks that are available to you. So these are going to be expiring in 2007. You can still make energy-saving uh, contribution or uh, improvements to your home in 2007. Correct, and this will be on the 2007 tax return. Now, whether that's going to be extended to 2008, we don't know. But the uh, if you, by the way, I should point out that that $500 credit is right now what we would call a lifetime credit, unless the Congress changes. So, if any of your listeners did energy improvements in 2006 and used the full $500 up. They will not get any more benefits. It's not $500 per year. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was over the life of the uh, legislation. This is also true for energy-efficient cars like hybrids. Is that where yes. I'm Yes. Well, the one thing that's kind of interesting, and I always find interesting on the hybrid cars is people who buy the hybrid car at the beginning of the year may very well get a larger tax break, a larger tax reduction than someone who buys at the end of the year. The reason is that the Congress has established, I believe, the number of 60,000 vehicles. That after the manufacturer sells 60,000 vehicles, they start to reduce the credit. So if you buy at the beginning of the year, you're probably within the first 60,000 buyers. But quite frankly, if you buy in December, you might be well past that and the amount of credit. I don't make these rules. I simply tell you that's what they are. It would seem to me that if we want to you know, make these vehicles available to people, we should give them the same credit no matter when they bought it. But that is the rule. But it's a good idea as people in this day and age, you know, I don't have to tell you the price of gasoline, what the hell has skyrocketed. And uh, so these energy-efficient cars are probably something that's... Uh, something everyone should consider. One other thing that changed this year is the uh, kitty tax, right? Maybe right. briefly, we have about two minutes before the break, uh, explain how the kitty tax has changed. Well, the kitty tax used to be that for children up to age 14, if they had investment income that was over $1,700, were taxed at the parent's tax rate. The investment income being generally anything other than wages earned by a child. But legislation that passed in 2006 extended that age retroactively to the beginning of the year to under age 18. So you have high school students. Uh, that, that was a big change uh, where you would have someone, as I said, up to 14 in your tax planning and say, all right, after that, I don't have to worry about this. But it was extended. So if they have unearned income that exceeds $1,700, the excess will be taxed at the parent's tax rate, not at the child's tax rate. That's the parent's top tax rate, right? So if correct, they were a higher right. tax, it could be as much as 35%. Absolutely correct. As, as compared to 10% or something. It could be like 10% uh, on the child's tax return. You know, the first $850 was uh, tax-free, and then the next 850 got to tax at the child's tax rate, which could have been 10%, and so on. But then after that, it gets uh, moved up. Now, that that's only for unearned income. If a child works and has wages, that is not taxed at the parent's rate. That is taxed. One of the keys, I think, was at one time they felt that some parents might have been transferring assets 
to their children in order to uh, avoid the tax that they would have to pay at their level. Uh, I, I can't tell you what people think about it in their own yeah. minds, but the, the, the law was changed, so it's up to age 18. Very good. Okay, uh, this is Jordan Goodman again on the uh, Money Answer Show. My guest uh, this hour is Frank Deegan, who is the past president of the National Association of Enrolled Agents. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about getting a tax preparer and what you need to do and maybe some need for like, make uh, things a little bit tighter in that area. So we'll be back after this. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman on The Money Answer Show, and my guest uh, this hour is Frank Deegan, uh, who is the past president of the National Association of Enrolled Agents, and we're talking all about uh, taxes and tax preparers. Let's talk a little bit about enrolled agents. Uh, what actually is an enrolled agent, and how do they compare to, uh, say, CPAs or the kind of person at a local uh, uh, tax preparing firm? Why would you go to an enrolled agent instead of some of them? Okay, let me just give you a little short definition, just a little explanation, Jordan. Enrolled agents, basically, the technical definition is that they're licensed by the United States Treasury Department to represent taxpayers before the IRS. I like to refer to enrolled agents as the taxpayer's friend as they guide the taxpayer through the IRS maze. And one of our members 
has a, a nice little slogan, and maybe your listeners want to remember that enrolled agents perform CPR for taxpayers, consultation, preparation, and representation, CPR. Mm-hmm. But um, what basically uh, enrolled agents are, are one of three groups that are sometimes referred to, without being too technical, as Circular 230 practitioners. Enrolled agents, certified public accountants, and attorneys are all in this group. They are regulated and over, have some oversight by an IRS office called the Office of Professional Responsibility. The difference is, and there's not a question here, one's better than the other, just simply that enrolled agents almost universally specialize in taxes. Some of the other Circular 230 people do not. Uh, but what I would encourage your listeners to do is if they are looking down the road for a, a tax uh, practitioner to ask what are your credentials. And I would, I would urge them to look for one of those three, enrolled agents, certified public accountant, or, or an attorney. Um, one, one thing I just might mention, if, I, if you don't mind being a little parochial here, is that NAEA has a, a website that if anyone is sure. interested in knowing more about enrolled agents or finding one, and, and the, the, uh, the address is www.naea.org. And we also have a toll-free hotline where if someone wants to find an enrolled agent in their area, they'll give them a list based on zip code, and the number is 800-424-4339. Now, having said that, uh, you can see that there is one group of, of practitioners who are regulated, so to speak. NAEA has been pushing, as well as some other professional organizations, to see all tax preparers legislated and regulated. So, for example, if you don't like your radio show anymore, uh, Jordan, you can tomorrow put out a shingle that says, I prepare taxes. Mm-hmm. Now, that's crazy because we don't know if you have any expertise or not. Of course, your business background may give you some, but you know what I'm driving at. Um, one of the things that NAEA in their testimony has given is, uh, and a lot of people have used this in, in subsequently, is the notion of a haircut. If you want to get your hair cut anywhere, basically, in the United States, you have to go to a licensed barber. Someone has to show that they can cut hair. However, if you want to get your taxes done, you can go to anyone. With rare exception, the state of Oregon has a program and some local municipalities have programs, but with rare exception, there are no regulations for anyone to prepare taxes. And what makes this so crazy is, and I'll just share with you for a moment, if you don't mind, the unique position I have with a taxpayer, and I'm just saying myself, Frank Deegan, but any, any Circular 230 practitioner, we know everything about these people. You know, if you go to a cocktail party, you know, sometime with socialize, people talk about everything. The one thing they don't talk about, though, is how much money they make. I'm sure you don't go to the next party and say, oh, I make X dollars and right. I have Y dollars in the bank. And, but when I deal with people, I know all these things about them. So it's quite, quite unique. And to say that there should be no oversight of, of people, it seems very strange to me. So what we would like to see happen is, and there was a bill that was introduced in the 109th Congress, and it was called S-832. It was introduced in the Senate by Senator Bingaman and, and a number of co-sponsors. And there were basically four conditions in there that we, we espouse and others have joined with us. And that is uh, there should be an initial examination that an individual who wants to prepare taxes has to demonstrate their competency. 
We also believe that there should be annual continuing education. There should be a code of ethics for tax practitioners and provisions for disciplinary action. And the last thing is, as I mentioned before, the IRS has a, an office called the Office of Professional Responsibility. And we, we would like to see that, that office ex expanded to do oversight of all tax practitioners. And this is, this is not designed uh, with any, uh, any uh, negative thing, but just simply to protect the American public. You, only, you read, certainly at this time of the year, the IRS likes to publicize their efforts, and they, they do try and corral as much as they can, but they publicize bad preparers, and you'll see someone let off to jail in handcuffs, but there are so many others that fall through the cracks. What are some and of the abuses, One of the right? things about this legislation is that the IRS has not gotten on board and the reason for me is it's troubling, and, and basically they've told us that they don't have enough resources. Well, it would seem to me that if this is important enough, that's not a good answer. The answer is we're for this, so Congress, give us those resources. And I think uh, there was just a hearing not too long ago, and actually a couple of days ago, I don't know if you, any of your listeners saw it on television, they had a... Uh, a convict uh, come in and tell them how they were scamming the IRS. So uh, Senators Grassley and Borkus, who are the uh, the two leading members of the Senate Finance Committee, I believe, are, are going to introduce legislation. So we're hoping that that it'll happen. Uh, it, it just seems that uh, it's the right thing to do, uh, and uh, so we're, we're we're waiting to see what what the Congress does on that. What have been some of the abuses, Frank, of tax preparers and as it affects uh, consumers? What are some of the things that they've done wrong? Well, basically what, what happens is you see a lot of overstatement of, of expenses. Uh, I, you'll, you'll, I'll do a new tax return of a new client, and I'll say, let me see last year's tax return, because you want to see carryovers and what's going on. And, and sometimes uh, your hair will just stand up on edge uh, at looking at some of these deductions, and you'll say to someone, uh, you had, uh, I'll give you an example. I did a new person, he was a New York City firefighter, and he was not too many years in there, and I'm going to say his income was, oh, $50,000. And his business expenses on Schedule A, there were $14,000 of miscellaneous business expenses. And there's no way in this world <laughs> that if you're making $50,000, you have $14,000 of business expenses in a, in a firefighter capacity, you know? Well, you'll see, I, I did another person a couple of years ago. Uh, as you may probably are aware, Jordan, you, if you make uh, donations of used clothing and uh, the, the household items, you are entitled to uh, take a tax deduction for their fair market value. So I, I looked at the tax return, and on the form, the donation was one large bag of clothing, and the value was $9,000. Now, I don't know what kind of fur coats were in that bag, but there's no way in the world that one large bag of clothing could. So those are the kinds of things you see. And, and since there is no oversight, and the IRS can't go after everybody. You know, they, they, so many of these things fall through the crack. So what we're encouraging is that we want to say that, you know, and here's the, here's the problem with people like that. It, 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 it impacts on the honest taxpayer. Most taxpayers do want to do the right thing. But then they look at their neighbor or they hear stories and they say to themselves, God, I'm the dope. I'm the one trying to do the right thing. You know, the people are getting away with something, and that, that cannot be good for our system. 
we we need to have you know as enrolled agents we have a dual responsibility we have a responsibility to our clients obviously but you also have a responsibility to the system so we can't have a system where people who are doing the right thing feel like they're the silly people uh, and that's 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 part of the problem Let's talk about picking an enrolled agent versus a CPA. Is there a difference in price normally? Or are there price I, I, I don't think I can make any judgment on that. Um, uh, I would say that the, the prices are reasonably comparable. Uh, there are some enrolled agents who may charge less, some may charge more. Um, it's very difficult. We don't discuss fees, be, and, and one of the reasons is, is uh, the, the antitrust provisions, so we really don't discuss fees. My sense would be that for the most part, they're relatively comparable. I don't think there is any uh, thing where I can say uh, certain, you know, certain class would be more than another. I think certain individuals are higher than other individuals, but as a general rule, I would anticipate that you'd probably pay roughly the same amount of money. And all the enrolled agents were formerly working at the IRS. Is that the way it works? Some of them were. Uh, in order to become an enrolled agent, up, up to this, just this past year, there were two ways you became an enrolled agent. One way was to have worked for the IRS for at least five years as basically either a revenue agent or a revenue officer. These were people that interpreted the tax code in either an examination or collections. That was one way. I would say that, uh, you know, off the top of my head, no more than 10% of enrolled agents are those types of people, probably even a smaller percentage. The other, the other way you become an enrolled agent is you used to pass an IRS examination. That was two days. And there was four parts, and you had to pass all four parts, which demonstrated your competency in knowing the tax code, prepare responsibilities, prepare ethics. The past year, the IRS has changed this. They've moved into the 21st century. Uh, they, and they got a contract with a, a private firm where people now can go to a uh, an, uh, walk-in site and computer. And the enrolled agent exam has now become a three-part exam. Uh, the three parts are taken on separate days, and if you pass the three parts, each part is, I think, about three hours long right now, and it's designed to test you on either taxation of individuals, that's the first part. The second part is taxation of uh, partnerships and corporations, basically businesses. And the third part is on professional ethics, responsibilities, uh, the record-keeping requirements, some stuff on retirement planning. If you pass those three parts, and the IRS will do a background check on you, make sure you've filed all your tax returns, you're up to date, you have no criminal activity in your past, then you can become an enrolled agent. So that's basically, those are the two ways that become EAs, and I would say the, the, the vast majority of people who have taken the examination route. How many enrolled agents are there in the country? There are about 45,000 altogether, and I'd say about 12,000 of them are members of uh, the National Association of Enrolled Agents. Okay, just give your website an 800 number again if people want to find one for themselves. Yeah, sure. It's www.naea.org, and the referral number is 800-424-4339. And part of what you're saying is they not only help prepare the taxes, but they can be consultants during the year. Absolutely. For a strategy to make sure you're doing the right thing. So right. And the important part is the, the R part. I mentioned the CPR, the consultation, the preparation, and the representation. And that is one of the things that uh, enrolled agents can do is represent you. So, for example, if a taxpayer is audited, they can represent you. If you have to go to an appeals, 
uh, issue. The, uh, the enrolled agent can represent a taxpayer. If you unfortunately you deal with the collection branch of the IRS, the enrolled agent can represent you there. That's an important component. And one thing we mentioned about credentials for tax preparers, whoever a ta- uh, your, one of your listeners engages as a tax practitioner, they have one to of the break. questions they should ask. If okay. I have any difficulty with the IRS, we have will to break, you represent Greg. me? Okay, this is uh, Jordan Goodman on the Money Answer Show. I'm speaking with Frank Deegan of the National Association of Enrolled Agents. We'll be back after this. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily, broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow, learn the rules of the game, then play better than anyone else. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and we're talking today with um, uh, Frank Deegan, who's the former uh, past president of the National Association of Enrolled Agents, talking about the whole tax system and enrolled agents and how you can save yourself uh, taxes uh, legitimately. Let's talk a little bit about uh, something called the tax gap. Uh, This is the difference between what the IRS thinks they should be collecting and what they actually collect. Tell us a little bit about how much that is, Frank, and and what steps you think should be taken to close the tax gap. Okay. Uh, The tax gap is huge. Uh, The last year that the IRS has done any statistics is 2001, so it's probably much higher now. The gap was $345 billion. That's with a B, billion. 
dollars, and that's an enormous amount of money. Um, and, and of course, there's no way, and I think we have to be realistic that we're going to collect every dollar. We don't want to have a police state where you know a, a kid who uh, has a lemonade stand and makes a few dollars on his side is paying taxes. But the, the, the point is, that this problem has to be addressed. And there are three components, Jordan. I think that your listeners need to know. The three components of the tax gap are one is called filing compliance. This would be people who don't file tax returns. And the IRS has some programs. They have something called a substitute for return where they'll actually file the returns for people in an attempt to get them online, that type of thing. So that's one component. The second How many component people do you is think what we that? call payment compliance. That is people file a tax return. Uh, they owe $11,000 on this year's tax return. They don't have any money. They send the tax return in as they're instructed to do because a, the biggest penalty is for late filing. And now they have $11,000 and the IRS has to collect it. Sometimes this is very difficult. There is a 10-year, generally a 10-year statute to collect tax after it's been assessed. So uh, that, that's what happens, okay? Uh, and the third one, and the most important of the compliances, is the reporting compliance. And that is, this is people who file tax returns, but either do one of two things. They underreport their income, or they overstate their expenses. Uh, and and the, the IRS estimates that probably 80% of the tax gap comes from reporting compliance. So people are understating their income, overstating their, uh, their expenses. Now, how do we achieve this goal? Well, it's going to take some legislative action. I, I think Congress has to give the IRS more resources. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The IRS, uh, as an organization, works hard, but they have limited resources, and their, their resources are dictated by Congress. But uh, there are four major proposals, I think, that maybe your listeners might be uh, interested in, in the Treasury Department's budget, which address part of this. Uh, one is that uh, right now, if you're in a business and you hire someone, a sole proprietor, to do some uh, work for you, if, it's, if the amount of income is $600 or more, you're required to give them a 1099. Um, that that uh, requirement is going to be extended to payments to corporations also. So that's one of their proposals. Another proposal is to require financial institutions, major, major, the bro, mainly, excuse me, the brokerage houses and the mutual funds, to report customer basis on security sales. There's a feeling that taxpayers, either inadvertently or they don't know, they don't want to be bothered, do not properly report their basis. The basis is basically what you paid for something, and then you sell it. So if you buy a stock for five dollars and you sell it for twenty or a fifteen dollar gain, there is a, uh, a, a perception on the part of the IRS that some people are saying, "I paid five, but I'll put down fifteen, and so there's a, a form of the tax gap. So there, there is a hope that uh, brokerage houses will give this cost basis. The other thing, uh, a third proposal that they're looking for is to have more information reporting requirements on auction houses. Now, this is talking about not only, you know, physical auction houses, but also the online auction. I don't have to tell you, 
Uh, in this day and age of the internet, there are a couple big ones. You know, they're not they're not involved in this, but there would be some reporting requirements that if you dealt and you buy and sell on online, that there should be some reporting because some people, and we're not talking about the the, the guy who wants to sell something, you know, once a year, but there are people who have businesses on on, on selling online and don't report any of it because there is no reporting. So I think that's something that would do. And and then the the fourth one. It would be to require information reporting on on charge card reimbursement, so that people would uh, know how much money was uh, on the charge cards, payments, and so on. So those are some of the things. I, I think personally, that I would like to see is withholding on these 1099 payments we mentioned before. You know, the IRS knows, and the statistics show that. The highest compliance is where there is withholding and third-party reporting. So you, Jordan, get a W-2. You have tax taken out. You go to file your tax return. It's it's not too hard to 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 do the right thing, you know. And you sort of forced to do it. And we hope that ethically you want to do it. But you know, you make X dollars. You have Y withholding, and you put it on your tax return. Uh, 1099 people don't have that. So maybe one of the things we need to do is to expand that kind of withholding to to non-employee situations. There are some people, unfortunately, some businesses who treat their employees as non-employees and there's no payroll taxes being paid. So I think that's a something that that needs to be to be looked at. Uh, but the tax gap is a big problem. The IRS is definitely focusing on it, and uh, they 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 do need to. I, I think one thing is it sounds a little bit corny, but maybe we need to have a, a, a new mindset that we tell people. You know, and I mentioned this before earlier that there has to be a mindset that doing the right thing is correct. You know, not not necessarily just because the IRS is going to beat you up if they catch you, but you know, you should be reporting your income. You should be redoing it. And if we all do it, there's a good chance our taxes could go down. And so I, I think that's something that we want to drill in. That, that's part of the public awareness. I think that's that's necessary. Do the right thing, you know, and, and uh, certainly this tax gap. I don't want to sound like Pollyanna on that, but I do think that there is a perception right now a lot of people have that the guy next door is getting away with something, you know, and uh, so therefore I better get away with something, and that's that's not a good attitude to have. Is there any resistance to, to these proposals? Uh, one of the things that uh, the IRS, they had a, a hearing not too long ago in March on uh, – on, on the tax gap, and one of the things that came out of that, and I, I'm going to be a little contrarian here, was that uh, one person that was quoted after the hearing that tax simplification is the answer to the whole thing. The, the, the quote was, simplification really is the solution to this, meaning the tax gap. Well, I'm going to give you my two cents, a personal opinion, not an opinion of NAEA, but I don't know what that means. You know, everyone is like apple uh, apple pie and motherhood. But you know, it sounds good to say let's simplify the tax code, but I don't. I'm not sure what that means. You know, because my idea of simplification may be someone else. Does that mean we take away the mortgage interest deduction? Is that simplifying? You know, the president had a panel not too long ago that came up with a lot of these ideas, and people were getting very nervous because in their attempt to quote unquote simplify the tax code. A lot of the things that the average American taxpayer has come used to being able to deduct may not be there in the future. 
So I think when we say simplify the tax code, there's got to be some parameters. What do we mean by that? I, 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 you know, I look back at that hearing that the IRS had, and I was kind of shaking my head that people say because the tax code is so complicated that people didn't know what their responsibilities were. I reject that. I think every taxpayer, I don't care how, and the tax code is complicated. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Uh, there's a famous judge, Learned Hand, who said, the tax code is a fantastic labyrinth whose words merely dance before my eyes in a meaningless procession, cross-reference to cross-reference, exception upon exception. It, it is difficult, but it, you know, it's not that difficult that someone doesn't realize they must report their income. So no matter how complicated or how simple it is, we have to get that mindset in there. One of the things I, as a, once again, this is a personal observation, I think the tax code has to be rewritten so that people can understand it. We expect our citizens to pay taxes based on the Internal Revenue Code. The Internal Revenue Code, unless you're a tax professional, and even some tax professionals have problems, is undecipherable, basically. I mean, if we can send a man to the moon, we should be able to write a tax code that a high school graduate can read and understand. And now they know what their obligations are if that's really the situation. But it, it, just, it just boggles the mind when you look at this thing. So I, I think the tax gap is, is going to be a, a very high priority issue for the IRS this year and certainly in the future. And I, it remains to be seen what kind of legislation will be there. But I do think that we... we the, the underreporting component is, is certainly the biggest and, and the worst. Is there any resistance to these proposals? They certainly sound very reasonable, and I don't know why anybody would be resisting these proposals. Well, I think sometimes uh, some, some of the things are, are difficult. You know, one of the things we hear in, in some of these is that it puts a burden on small businesses. Or in the case of the brokerage houses, which are not small businesses, it puts an undue burden on them. But I think we have to weigh the burden versus the result. Uh, there's no doubt that some of these proposals would require more efforts. Certainly like the auction houses, the online auctions, I mean, someone's going to have to do this thing. So perhaps for small businesses, you know, here we are, we're going to make the tax code more complicated now, but perhaps we offer them some tax credit, you know, for the result of what they have to do. Uh, certainly right now businesses do withhold their employees' income tax on their wages. So I don't think it would be such a burden to ask them to withhold taxes on 1099 payments. Uh, you know, but if you, if you felt that it was a burden, the Congress could offer a small, you know, like handling fee, if you will, you know, uh, that type of thing. The brokerage houses have some concern about that cost basis because they, I think they're worried about their, their culpability in this, uh, their liability, because many times they have to rely on what the taxpayer tells them. There is my understanding that if this legislation was ever passed, it'd be like an 18-month period to, to get this going. This would not happen the next day. But one of the problems with the brokerage houses is, and I don't want to name any houses, let me say brokerage house X. A, new, a taxpayer comes to them, a new client, and they bring their stocks from brokerage house Y into X. Well, X doesn't know what what the taxpayer paid for them and why, so that becomes a problem. So some of this would be have to rely on uh, the taxpayer's testimony, and God forbid anyone brought AT&T over. You know, <laughs> I had a lady say, I'll sell AT&T this year, and she actually had her records going back to 1964. <laughs> but most folks are not that way, you know. And we're going to break, Frank. 
Okay, thank you very much. Uh, this is again Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and I'm speaking with Frank Deegan, uh, past president of National Association of Enrolled Agents, talking about taxes. We'll be back after this to talk about everybody's favorite topic, the alternative minimum tax, the AMT. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to three-dimensional wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest at this hour is Frank Deegan, uh, who is the past president of the National Association of Enrolled Agents. Uh, Frank, great to be with you on the show so far. Thank you, John. I appreciate being here. Uh, let's talk about uh, the alternative minimum tax, the AMT. Uh, this is a very controversial area. It was put in years ago basically to prevent uh, wealthy people from avoiding paying tax altogether, but it's kind of transmogrified into something completely different. Tell me kind of where the situation is now, how this is affecting people, and what do you think might be done legislatively to change the situation? Okay, this is, uh, I, I think I can call this the middle class nightmare. Uh, I, I practice on Long Island, and if I, if we see people that have incomes between 150000 and 350000 They're, they're going to almost universally be whacked by this. Um, the, the Congress has been doing patches, temporary fixes for the past few years. This year for 2006, for a married couple, the patch was $62,500 in exemption amount. Uh, it's due to expire this year for 2007. So you read reports that this year, in 2006, for the 2006 reporting, something like 4 million taxpayers are impacted by AMT. If there is no fix, 18 million taxpayers will be impacted in 2007. That's a huge, huge number. Uh, and also, I read a report from the Congressional Research Service that said, in the year 2009, if this is not fixed, more money will be collected under the AMT system than under a regular tax system. So if you're going to scrap something, what's the answer? <laughs> Let's scrap the regular tax system. But 
I, I think Congressman Rangel, who's now the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, he, he seems to be pretty dedicated to trying to fix this problem. So it, it's a cash cow, Jordan. I, I don't know uh, if, there, if there's any easy way to, to describe it other than that. And, and it, 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 it's really fix, difficult. Would the fix be changing the exemption amounts or indexing it to inflation? You're not going to get rid of the AMT altogether, likely, but how would it be fixed so it make it more fair? Well, I think, I think you hit on one part. Certainly, there needs to be a constant inflation amount for the exemption. You know, you're allowed to deduct something. But I also think that's part of the thing that's anti-family. For purposes of AMT, you know, you're not allowed to take any deductions for yourself, your wife, or your children. That's crazy. So I think certain things like that, uh, people who live in high tax states are not allowed to take any uh, deductions for their their property taxes or their income taxes. And, and you hit it on the head, Jordan. You said before, in 1969, they wanted to do this to get rich people to pay. But it's it's lost its focus completely. And and uh, I wish I had an answer. This is not going to be an easy fix, given the, the, the nature of the tax gap and all this money that's owed. And if they take away the AMT, it's going to be a tremendous deficit. So, are there other places? We're in a bit of a quandary on this. Are there other places that they could increase taxes to offset taking away the AMT? Uh, I'm sure there are, but <laughs> I don't have to tell you in the political process, it's not very popular to... To increase taxes, you know, one of the things that that they're looking at, for example, you know, some of the some of the things are are, are extended every two years. Uh, some things are made permanent. You know, in the year 2010, uh, the the tax bill, bill called EGRA, E G D R T R A, is due to expire, and some of the, these provisions are are due to go away, like the the marriage penalty release. Some of these things have been made permanent, but there's such a mismatch of of things. It, it it would require, if you do away with the AMT tomorrow, it would absolutely require some increase in taxes to be revenue neutral. So I think what, what needs to be done, something has to be fine-tuned so that the intent of the AMT is still there. You know, people that have uh, losses and uh, on, on passive activities, they, they can't use it. Um, maybe some things on uh, tax-free buy. I don't know, but someone's going to be unhappy on this when, when this all comes to flush, be flushed out. How do you see the political campaign for the next president being fought over tax uh, policy? I mean, as you say, these things are going to start expiring. What, what do you think, are, without any particular candidate, generally what are the Democrats going to be asking for and what are the Republicans going to be campaigning on? Well, I, w I wouldn't presuppose to tell anyone who is because we don't know the candidates right now. But I do think, though, that with AMT, it has been, I think it's fair to say, it's been accurately reported as a blue state problem. Uh, the states like New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts, California, a lot of urban areas where there are high income earners. Uh, and I think the fact that the Democrats are now in control of Congress uh, will see some uh, more uh, of a push or more of a desire to, to solve this problem. Uh, so in that respect, I, I, I think the... Uh, the blue state, red state business is is important in terms of trying to solve this problem. You know, if you if you have to uh, uh, make your constituency happy, you try and solve the problems that are important to them. I mean, so a, a national I, I candidate. It, you know, I'm saying a national candidate. Though, are you expecting in the 2008 election campaign to have a proposal to like have a massive tax change and simplification? and getting rid of the AMT and kind of having a clean system going forward. Is that going to be part of the debate? Uh, personally, I, I wouldn't think so. I, I think uh, 
you know, it's easy to say, but I, I don't, I don't think that there would be, I, I don't think any individual could campaign on such a, a policy because it, it's such an overwhelming process. And we'll, and as I said, I alluded to before the president's commission a couple of years ago, and that we, we had some really top-notch people on there. They brought these proposals. Nothing's happened with them. So I, I don't think. Uh, I, I think the AMT is too complicated for most politicians to want to deal with. If, if people start asking the questions, I, I'm not being negative towards. I'm just simply saying this is a very technical thing, and the, most politicians don't have have that expertise. They have staffers who who would help them on this, but I, I don't think that would be part of the national campaign, other than to say we need to fix the problem. Now, if somebody individually is looking at the situation, trying to plan ahead for their 2007 taxes, are there some steps they can take? to avoid the AMT if it's, if it's going to hit them in this year where it jumps up dramatically? To some degree, the answer is no. Uh, it depends because most of the people who are now in AMT uh, are there because of no action on their part. By that I mean at one time a few years ago when incentive stock options were big in California and some of the high-technology companies, people had options there. They were able to exercise these incentive stock options. And the, that, that exercise generated alternative minimum tax income. People could control that. But most of the people now who fall in AMT are, are, are in items such as their family, you know, they can't get rid of their children, their wife, and the husband, and so on. Uh, and property taxes, which they're not going to be able to get away with their state and local income taxes. So those kinds of expenses are, are such that uh, uh, I don't think they have much, much control. Many people are just locked in this. As one of my clients said, I'm just an ordinary guy. I don't have any tax loopholes, and he's right. And there's no way he can get out of this. He still has going to have very high property taxes and still have high New York State taxes, and they're still going to impact on him basically every year. So I, I think what, what you need to do is what you said before, some kind of, of, of strategy as to uh, can, can we increase other taxes to, to pay for this if we, we eliminate some of it. Yeah, sounds pretty unlikely, actually. <laughs> All right, well, we're coming to a close here, and this has been really very fascinating. Uh, my guest on the Money Answer Show has been Frank Deegan, uh, the past president of the National Association of Enrolled Agents. Uh, just maybe one more time before we close, give people the uh, website and the phone number if they want to find an enrolled agent near them. Thank you, George. And it's www.naea.org, and the 800 hotline is 800 424 4339. George, you've been a wonderful host. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Frank. Appreciate it. And this is Jordan Goodman, your host of the Money Answer Show, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.